Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Physical Product Movement Podcast. Our guest today is Connor Curran, the chief laundry folder and founder of Local Laundry, Canadian-made garments for social good. He talks about how his entrepreneurial parents inspired him to start his own company, why he chose clothing after trying his hand in tech, how he focuses on community values and giving back to build his company, how shifting his manufacturing to a more expensive location actually helped his business grow, and how focusing on a B2B strategy during the pandemic led to even more growth. Connor is the type of guy who speaks nuggets of wisdom on a whim, mid-sentence while telling a story or talking about something else, and he shared a lot of wisdom in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, Connor, uh, thanks for joining me this morning. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. All right. Your company is, is Local Laundry. You guys are in Canada. I want to hear all about your story. I want to hear, you know, motivation behind starting your your company. It's a little bit different than other companies we've had on the physical product movement podcast, but it's a clothing brand. But I think that there it's very similar lessons that the audience will learn. And, you know, your startup, you're selling to consumers. You guys have a big sort of B2B play that Mm -hmm. we want to dig into. Before we get into all of that, though, I just want to kick it off with a quote or, you know, is there a saying that's really motivational to you? Yeah, my favorite quote is, your success in life will be determined by how many uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And that's a lifelong practice for me since I'm a big people pleaser. I tend to avoid conflict if I can. But, you know, there's it's something I reflect on often. You know, if you're not willing to have an uncomfortable conversation, then, you know, you're not willing to become successful. Yeah, is there an example of that? You know, a time when maybe you were avoiding a conversation, an uncomfortable conversation, and then you did and realized you probably should have had it earlier. <laughs> That's usually what happens to me. Oh man, every, almost every single day. I mean, you can pull from every sorts of business scenario. I mean, think of uh, a negotiation, right? You're going back and forth with a pr- prospective client or maybe even a supplier and you know, you're going back and forth on price and, and you just, you know, you want to be their friend. You want to maintain good relationships and you don't want to, you know, whatever. So you seed on price. Right. And then, you know, you, you just, you let them kind of get the better end of the deal. Or let's just say you, you have an employee that a team member that 
that you really like is, is a good person, but just isn't working out, you know, in the position that they're in. And you just kind of, instead of facing that head on and just having that uncomfortable conversation, you just kind of let them be in the wrong seat. Maybe they're not even right for the company for, you know, three, six, 12 months. And then what happens? Right. And then it's no good for anyone. And I mean, those, that's, that's not like, you know, that hasn't happened yet, thankfully, but, you know, being able to just say, okay, you know what, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. Because what do we do with uncomfortable conversations, Ken? We push them off, right? Uh, I don't want to have that call. Ooh, I don't want to message that. E- even customers. I mean, how many customer service emails do you have where it's just like, oh, man, I don't want to talk about this. Let's, let's push this off. <laughs> right. or, or I'll send an email rather than have a phone call, you know, when you mess up big. And it's like, no, don't push that com- uncomfortable conversation off. You know, don't avoid conflict. Sometimes when you steer into conflict, it can it can be good. Conflict is good. When there's conflict, there's growth. So by you, by having uncomfortable conversations, just by you being comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, it allows you room to grow as a better person, a better leader, and ultimately as a better organization. Right. Yeah. I think, I think any business um, owner or entrepreneur knows about the, the employee example that you gave. You know, and, and I don't know, I, I think you could also take it the other way, which is a lot of times the, the employee that, that's struggling or is not right for the job, they know it too, you know, and yeah. so you're kind of giving them permission to like, okay, hey, you can, you can look for your next thing and I'm happy to help in any way. But just having the conversation sometimes, it's the elephant in the room, but nobody's talking about it. It's like, you got to just talk about it. Just talk about it. Yeah. Face that elephant head on. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, let's hear about your background and how you came to to be to launch your your clothing brand to launch uh, local laundry, and uh, but I kind of want to hear about you know where where you come from and you know what what you were like if you were always an entrepreneur or you sure. know something that you came to recently. Yeah, definitely. So I think it started uh, with my parents. My parents immigrated to Canada from Ireland. They immigrated during the Troubles there in the 70s. They came to Canada, no education. They both worked three jobs, you know, a classic, you know, new Canadian story. And then eventually they they opened up an Irish pub and they became restaurant owners. And so they've been doing that for the last 25 years. So kind of growing up, I saw how hard they worked and, and how they were able to build a life for themselves you know, and support their family and, and work hard and, and be their own bosses and, and kind of get out what, what you put into it. And I always kind of like that notion, you know, being kind of in control of your own destiny and not letting anyone else kind of decide and determine your life for you. And not only did I see how they built life around being, you know, successful entrepreneurs, but I saw how they were able to use their business as a vehicle, as a way to give back, as a way to connect to the community, as a way to give back to those that need and, and as a way to, to make the world just a little bit better in their own unique way. And I thought that's so interesting. You know, here's a restaurant that, you know, not only pulls a good point and serves good food, but also finds a way to make people's lives better in small and big ways. And I thought, well, I, you know, I kind of like how my parents have that entrepreneurial side of things. Maybe I could give that a go, but I, I like the idea of how they have used their business as a way to give back, connect with people and bring and, and build community, you know? So I tried a few couple things and, you know, of course, uh, where I'm from, we're kind of like, uh, Alberta's kind of like the Texas of the North. It's best to describe to our American friends down South because right. we're big oil and cattle country up here. And, and if you want to be successful up here, you work in oil and gas and that's where all the money is. And so that's what I did. And, and then of course I got laid off as you ride the roller coaster of oil and gas and, the, the price of a barrel of oil. So I was, you know, kind of shook, didn't know what to do. My whole world kind of turned upside down, got laid off. And, and that's when I decided to 
do something crazy. My wife and I moved to Sweden of all places. Oh. And that's where I did my MBA. I did my, my master's because I had the dual citizenship, you know, uh, with Ireland, it made it pretty easy to study over there. And it was there that I kind of said, you know what? I don't want to work in my gas. I don't want to work for anyone else. I never want to have that feeling of getting laid off by, you know, my boss's boss. who I never met not knocking oil and gas. It's a great, it's a great industry. It just wasn't for me. So I just started, you know, I looked to my parents as my inspiration and said, I'd love to be able to create a business. I'd love to be able to become an entrepreneur and I'd love to be able to use it as a vehicle to give back. And I tried a couple different things. I mean, like everyone else in 2010, I'm sure you can relate to, to this more than most. You know, I tried to build an app, try to get into tech and, and that kind of thing and realized it was not a coder, not a developer, not a programmer. So I needed to, I wanted to find something that I could build that I could use as a vehicle to connect people. Hmm. And that's where I was kind of dawned on the idea of, you know, I was kind of always drawn to clothing is how clothing is, is this billboard that to express one's values, either on a conscious or subconscious level, every, every decision we make when it comes to our wardrobe is a very deliberate decision and how we choose to dress ourselves and how we choose to present ourselves to the world. It sends a lot of messages about who we are as a person, and what we believe in. And I thought, what if we could kind of take that notion and use it as a vehicle to bring people together, to share those values, connect, and ultimately build community. Now, this all sounded great in theory, but you know, I was this broke student living in Northern Sweden, no experience in e-commerce, no experience in fashion, textile, manufacturing, you name it. But I just, I had this idea and I had this theory about, you know, clothing, being able to bring people together and and in a small little way and the idea of like you know we love to support craft beer we love to support local organic produce like what if we could support local clothing too what if our laundry could be local and that's where my wife actually came up with the name local laundry and so i just did what any student does what any young person does with the curiosity and a a passion for trying to build something i took to google and i typed in how to make a t-shirt company and then that, that popped up a couple of different articles and uh, popped up a YouTube video. So I found it. Then I watched a step-by-step guide. It was a Shopify video, how to make a t-shirt company from scratch. And I just was enamored with this. So I followed it step-by-step and 24 hours later, 50 bucks, I had an online t-shirt company. You know? <laughs> yeah. Times have, have changed, right? It's a lot easier than it used to be to, to launch you know, a t-shirt company in general. But I think actually the, the same trend is going on across all categories, right? You name it. There's no better time to become an entrepreneur, try your hand in something. You know, it is so, it does. it requires little to no investment. All it takes is time, patience, you know, and that burning curiosity to, to want to try and build something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's something interesting. I mean, we, we were talking a little bit before the show, you know, so my business fiddle, it's, you know, it, it's kind of writing this trend, right? That there are a lot of people who are stepping into entrepreneurship that are launching these brands and they're finding success, right? You put up a Shopify site. That's the typical sort of playbook, Shopify, Amazon, you find a, a manufacturer and you're off to the races. And sometimes, you know, these brands grow very quickly. You know, and so what I always like to to ask is what about the process was easier than you thought? And what about the process was harder than you thought? You know, it easy and hard is are so subjective and, and, and relative. Nothing is easy and nothing is hard if you have the, the right attitude about it. You know, like I said, no experience in e-commerce, no experience in 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 manufacturing or 
fashion or whatever, but if you have the right attitude and the enthusiasm and the curiosity, nothing's hard. I mean, there's never been a better time to start a business, not only from a technology standpoint, but just from a learning standpoint. You know, you don't know how to do something. There's a million, trillion, zillion books out there, a million, trillion websites pop up in the University of YouTube. No one needs a degree to start a business anymore. So if something is in the process is hard, you know, you really kind of have to look in the mirror and say, okay, what, where do I need to adjust my attitude? Now, the first excuse everyone kind of throws is, well, I got no money. You know, I got no money. You know, right. I don't have enough money. And I think, congratulations, that's a great problem to have. Because when businesses, and we've seen it time and time again, businesses with a ton of money, you know, you probably see it in your space all the time, especially in the tech industry. You know, you get a bunch of money. What do you do when you come across a problem? You, you throw money at it until that problem goes away. And that doesn't really build a solid foundation for the business. You know, it doesn't build a, a core function that serves a purpose. It just puts a, a, a very costly band-aid over top of it. So right. I think the easy thing for me was the, that I finally found something I could pour my heart and soul into. I could sink my teeth into. I could spend hours and hours just diving in. And it was all fun. It was a game. It still is. It's like a big puzzle. You know, the the never-ending game theory of it all. And the hard part is just, I think maybe the only hard part I would say is, you know, you, is just battling our patience, right? Because we live in a generation of, of instant gratification. We want everything now. And we want to be a $10 million company by tomorrow. We want 100,000 followers on our podcast or on our Instagram by tomorrow. And when we don't get that, we get frustrated, right? Because everything else in our life is so it's instantly satisfied. So that is a constant reminder to be like, things take time. The notion of compounded interest, you know, you just build upon your successes from yesterday and you come together and build a little bit more today. You're going to build a little bit more tomorrow. And then you step back and after time, you can really, you know, you have something really solid that you can be proud of, but that, just know that's not going to happen by tomorrow. It's not even going to happen by next year. It could take 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to find something that you're willing to put that kind of time into, right? Like this isn't a, you know, in six months, you're going to be a millionaire type business, you know, and I don't even think those exist. Um, a lot of no. times when we hear about these overnight successes, you're not getting the full story, right? right. There's, there's like a decade before where you saw somebody, you know, really hitting their head against a problem. And if that's not the case, then it's all fake. I think social media is a blessing and a curse because the things that get celebrated in, in the business entrepreneur world are, are those instant successes, those people that raised hundreds of millions of dollars and people that, you know, you know, became billionaires at 25. And, and, and that's not the reality. That's, that's a, that's a one in a billion chance. Right. And so I think it can affect a lot of entrepreneurs and especially young people that if they don't achieve that, they reach a certain age and they don't have that, that they're a failure, you know, and I've really tried to get that message out there that things take time. You just got to put your head down, put the work in, enjoy the process and, you know, just, it will take time and it will come. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So let's talk just a little bit more about local laundry. So you launch your t-shirt brand, I guess, one of the biggest issues is, okay, there's a million t-shirt brands out there, right? So how do you stand out? How do you find distribution? How do you find customers? And what was your guys' approach to that? Well, when we say it's never been an easier time to start a business, it, that's also a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's never been easier, which is great, but that means that any 
any person just like myself with enough curiosity and no money, you know, can Google search the same stuff. I Google search and watch the same YouTube and come up with the same company, right? So when everyone can start a t-shirt company, how do you differentiate yourself? And what we kind of did was, you know, we're really going to dig deep on that community aspect. We're really going to dig deep on that giving back and bringing people together and building a community around our brand and celebrating everyone in that community. So instead of us kind of talking about, Hey, look how great our clothes are. It's like, Hey, look at this. Uh, look at this artist. Look at this charity. Look at this other business, a coffee shop, a brewery, you know, a candle maker, look how great they're doing and look at all the great things that are in your community that you can support. And let's tell their story. So by telling everyone else's story, we were telling our own. And how do you do that? How do you build a community just kind of from scratch? Well, you build it one sincere relationship at a time we we would go out we'd find people through social media emails cold calls and just say hey if you're just starting out as a small business or as an artist or an athlete we're just starting out do you want to hang out and be friends and let's see if we can help each other let's do photo shoots together let's i'll write a blog on your website you write a blog on my website you know let's have an event let's let's start a book club you know start a meetup you know, who do you know? Who do I know? How can we help each other? Hey, do you know a guy that could do accounting? I got a guy. Do you know a graphic designer? Oh, yeah, yeah. You got it. You should meet this person. And you just slowly, over time, build this community with genuine, authentic, and sincere relationships. And now you kind of look back and you just kind of say, like, you have that support system around you. You have people that, yeah, I want to buy that guy's shirt. You know, I've met Connor. He helped me out. He's done this. He's done that. Or, you know, he's given back to the community or, or their company gives back in and, and, and that kind of way. So it's a lot of hard work, you know, especially when you have no money. But marketing, when you just start out, is incredibly easy if you are willing to build sincere relationships. You know, there's a great local energy drinks company like Energy Tea here in Calgary uh -huh. and for the first year and a half. Every single order, this guy hand-delivered himself with a handwritten note. This guy drove all across Calgary and beyond to hand-deliver. Sometimes just, you know, one, one individual drink just to say thank you to every single customer who, who bought and supported him, you know? And so, like, that goes a long way. And so, you have to be willing. You know, marketing is just building relationships. So, the more real and authentic you can build those relationships, the longer lasting, the stronger and the better uh, those relationships will be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think about Y Combinator and they, they talk about do things that don't scale, right? And Do things that don't scale, absolutely. And then, you know, the example that I keep thinking about is Instacart. I don't know if you guys know Instacart yeah. in Canada, if you have it there, but yeah, so great founders, those guys um, in the early days, they were actually the, the people going, doing the shopping, you know, delivering the, the groceries to their customer base. And a lot of it is just market research and really, you know, trying to do customer development, right? The process of trying to understand your customer and understand what they want, what their motivations are, what you need to improve, you know, what they don't like about your product or service. So do you have an example of, of one of these relationships that you were talking about that, that you feel like was really pivotal for local laundry? Oh man, I mean, no question. I think one of the most pivotal was a guy he owned a co-working space and and so he got to see all these brands and companies kind of grow and start and and they're called work nicer here in calgary alex putichi and you know he was a, kind of always a bit of a mentor to us and and he'd always let us use his space for events for free and he, he's always supporting a sweater and one day we kind of took him out for beers and he just kind of said he kind of sat us down and at the time we were manufacturing all across 
the world. Our hats were coming from China, our shirts were coming from Mexico, sweaters from Bangladesh, because we didn't know anything better. But then he sat us down and he says, you guys are called local laundry, but your stuff is made all over the world. He's like, how does that make any sense? Right. Well, that's a really good point, Alex. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. And we always had these kind of excuses that, you know, Canadian manufacturing was so expensive. We'd have to raise our prices. No one would pay that much and no one cared. But, you know, the more we kind of talked to people, the more we kind of, the more we kind of saw these clothing companies kind of pop up and it became a competition on who could create the, the coolest design or who could make a garment for cheaper and cheaper. You know, as we kind of get into all these retail stores and, and chains and all that kind of thing, it was kind of, we kind of saw the future as a race to the bottom. You know, eventually one day we'd be selling our, our shirts for five bucks a pop, you know, two for eight. And we just didn't, we didn't want this. We said, okay, how do we slow that down? And how do we make sure that we got some longevity? Because we had one or two designs that were cool, but we're not designers. And Dustin and I, my business partner, we're not cool by any means. So how do we make this brand about something that's a little bit bigger than the clothes and, and the community we're building? And, and that's when we started to do research into Canadian manufacturing and, you know, the importance of making clothing here in Canada and why it's so expensive and why it's all but gone and disappeared. We, we've discovered a stat by the government. The government here in Canada runs a, a stat website called StatsCan. And one of the stats was prior to 1989, over 70% of all clothing bought and sold here in Canada was made here in Canada, which is great. You go into your parents' closet, your grandparents' closet, all their old stuff will all be made here in Canada. Now, fast forward to 2015, that same stat, less than 5% of all clothing bought and sold in Canada is made in Canada, right? Yeah. So in a matter yeah, of that's crazy. 20, you know, yeah, 25 years, it's dropped 75%. So that was one of those relationships that kind of made us realize we got to be different. We got to do something drastic. And we switched all of our manufacturing to Canadian made. That was about three years ago. And it was the single greatest decision we ever made. Yeah, let's double click on that a little bit. I think it's a little bit counterintuitive. You know, a lot of people have those same concerns that you guys had. And, you know, being mainly it's too expensive uh, to do it locally. You can get much better prices overseas, you know, and just even the, the logistics of it. There's not as many there's not as many companies, you know, that manufacture right. locally. You know, those are some of the common concerns. Did, um, uh, did I get them all? Did you guys have any other concerns that you wanted? to? Oh, articulate? heck yeah. 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 I mean. You know, you hit the nail right on the head. And for us, it was, you know, we kind of saw the bigger competition. Like we're teeny tiny. Look at these big dogs, these big guys. They can produce, you know, garments for a quarter, a tenth of the price that we can produce. Right. We're never, we're never ever going to be able to compete on price. So why bother? Why try to make a discount garment when people have already figured that out? One, and then we sort of look. Okay, where can we? compete with them where we compete on them is story and purpose and intention and one of the areas is okay these guys have these massive operations overseas they're never ever going to bring their manufacturing back to onshore they're never going to onshore they've out offshored years ago they're never going to onshore because they've gotten fat off these margins and they have prices and everything so what if we just start and what if we stop competing on price but compete on quality and compete on story and compete on that community building aspect and that was kind of the most interesting part for us because now we're not even competing against them we're in a different category altogether right these we're not competing with you know roots or nike or Abercrombie and fitch 
right? Because they produce all their stuff overseas and under conditions of who knows, who knows what, and uh, adhering to who knows what kind of environmental regulations and laws and that kind of thing. And so we started doing all of our Canadian manufacturing. Yes, there's constraints. Yes, there's price increases. But to our great surprise, because we had that community foundation built up over the, you know, the first couple of years, our community supported us wholeheartedly. They kind of said, you know what? This is a great move. We understand it. We want to support it. We're willing to pay a little bit more. And once you kind of just educate, you know, the community on why you're paying more, you know, it's because the, all that money is going back to Canadians. It's paying living wages, health benefits, safe work environments, safe environmental practices. People kind of say, you know what? Yeah, I'll spend an extra 20 bucks on a sweater. Like that, that makes sense to me. People vote with their wallet, right? And again, it kind of goes back to that notion of why I started this, why I'm so drawn to clothing in the first place, because clothing represents your values, either on a conscious or subconscious level. And so to give our customers and community this opportunity to express the world that they want to live in. Yes, they, they want to live in a world where products are made responsibly. They're made ethically. and They're made by their neighbors, you know, who then go take that money and reinvest it back into their local economy. You know, so they've really stood by us. And it was, again, the single greatest decision we ever made. And the pandemic only highlighted that more. Yeah. Do you mind describing that a little bit more? What, what did the pandemic do to your business? So prior to the pandemic, 70% of all of our business, 70% of our revenue is retail, right? So we sell the stores, store, store sells customers. So we had national chains. We had, we were in about 25, 30 stores across Canada, all the airports, you, know, you, you name it. COVID hits. Those stores shut, no more orders come in. Nobody knows when the orders are going to come back in, when the stores are going to open back up. Mm-hmm. 70% of our rent gone overnight. So what do you do? Well, you look at all your kind of assets. Okay, here's all the assets we have in place. Here's what we're good at. Here's what we can do. And you know what? We can still make clothes. You know, our Thankfully, our manufacturing partners, they did everything that they needed to do to make sure everyone was safe and they could still produce and ship things out. So we started to get requests coming from businesses, corporations, companies. Everyone's worked from switched to working from home. They want to be able to send gifts to their employees at Boost Morale, you know, have some branded comfy clothes on these Zoom calls and team video calls. So they said, you know, we want to make it sustainably. We want to make it to support being seen as supporting small business, Canadian made, something that'll last forever. You know, because all these companies, and I mean, you probably have hundreds of these can, you know, from your soccer tournaments and everything and, and your, you know, those shirts that you get at events or those shirts, oh, yeah. the cheap gilded shirts or anvil and nobody looks good in them. Nobody likes to wear them. The only time you wear them is when you go to sleep, right? You put them in your <laughs> pajama pile. So we kind of just said, you know, to companies, stop making pajamas for your people and make clothes that they actually want to wear. And that kind of just took off like wildfire, you know, because we were an e-commerce company, we had you know, experience shipping individual packages. So a company would come order, you know, a hundred, 200, a thousand, 6,000 garments for other employees across North America. And instead of them having to go into the office and package individual packages to all and label and ship out all these to all their employees working from home, we could take care of that. We can make it extra special. We would pop boxes of girl guy cookies in candy, you know, and individual notes and inserts mm-hmm. to kind of tell this, our story and the story of their company supporting us and what that meant. And now we've flipped the script and that that's now 70% of our revenue 
is the custom garments for B2B partners. And we, we're hard, hardly even in retail anymore. We've kind of foregone that space. And do you prefer, you know, where your company is now compared to where it was before? Do you prefer, you know, selling to this different client base? Big time. And I highly recommend it even to all your CPG listeners and, and, and fans and all, for a couple of reasons. Gone are the net 15, net 30, net 60, net 120 terms, right? That are so prevalent in, in CPG and in, in retail. We don't make anything now until we get payment up front, right? So our cash flow cycle has just increased, you know, it's just sped up tenfold. So yeah, we, that's transformative right there. Just that, yeah. right? Because how sick are companies? You know, and I'm speaking to all you guys out there with CPG and working in retail where you get this massive order. It's great, you know, 100K order, but then they're not going to pay you for six months. So you got to float that for six months, right? That's tough on a small business. Small businesses aren't banks, you know, we need to be paid. So we negotiated that with all of our clients and that's no problem. So now we get paid for our grounds before we even produce them. So that was the first thing. Then came the margins, right? How many times have you heard from your, your clients and see other CPG customers that just when you work with large uh, retailers and distributors, the margins, right? They just whittle you down. You know, there's penalties, there's fees, there's this, that, there's all sorts of charges left, right, and center. And you're just fighting for margin. And again, you get a hundred thousand dollar order. Great. How much that hundred, like what's your profit margin on yeah. that hundred thousand dollars? Are you going to make any money? And are a lot you of times actually- if you and, and this is you know something that we talked about a little bit earlier, which is if you're not even tracking your cogs, right? Um, mm-hmm. You could be losing money and you don't realize it, right? Yeah, you think, oh, I got a hundred thousand coming in and only ninety thousand going out or whatever, or oh, I'm in the money. It's like, yeah, that's not the full story. <laughs> you got to be yeah. on top on top of those numbers, right? And just the time that it takes, right? Dealing with buyers and dealing with distributors and logistics and all that. So th- those were the two really big things, better margins, better payment terms, and just better control. And, and also the ownership of the relationship is a big one. So we have now, you know, by sticking with direct consumer on online and the B2B side of things, we're kind of making a statement that we want to own the relationship with our end customer, right? Whether that's the businesses or the people that are buying online, we don't, you know, we don't want to give that up to a middleman right? Um, yeah. And, and maybe you can double click on that. Why, why do you think that's important? You know, I obviously agree, you know, but maybe articulate what you guys were, were thinking or some of the benefits that you've seen from owning that relationship. So it's twofold. One, purely from a personal, you know, a relationship building is like, I'm a very personal guy. I was, I was getting tired of working with buyers that uh, would just, you know, call you up and say, Hey, I want 500 of this. I'm like, okay. Yeah. No, no, no problem. What are you up to this weekend? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how are your kids? You know, there's like, no, none of that. They're just, they're all business. So just owning that, you know, that uh, relationship from a, a sincere and authentic place to really grow and build that, you know, that's really important. We want to know, get to know these people. We want to know how we can help. All people are end-to-end customers, are B2B clients, their employees. We want to know what it is that, that, that they do, why they do it and how we can help. So purely from a relationship standpoint, but also, from a you know a much more scientific and, and much more logical standpoint, like the, you want to own the data in that relationship. You want to know how many people are buying, the demographics of that, the frequency, the average cart value, you know, the 
all those details. You want to own that data, right? Why give that data ownership to, to someone else, right? So when you own the relationship, not only do you are you able to steer the messaging and, and get feedback and build that relationship, but you own the data on that, right? You can have their emails and, and, and have them sign up to your newsletter and communicate with them that way. It opens all different sorts of, of, of channels to communicate with them. So it's, yeah, yeah. I, I, anyone listening. And, and I often think, yes, we're in clothing. I think you could do the same in the CPG world, right? To own oh, that yeah. relationship, right? I, I, I think it's true for any business, any business, any theory. business, yeah. right? Right. You're yeah. a coffee company. Instead of selling the grocery stores, go to all these companies, these massive corporations working, all these people working from home and create custom branded business coffee delivery, right? Where you go and deliver coffee to everyone's home for, right? With they, yeah. these yeah. employees get branded company coffee bags once a month. Like how cool would that be? Yeah. One of the trends that you see going on in the CPG space is actually, you know, getting a lot of sales from farmer's markets. You know, and this isn't, yeah. these aren't necessarily just small businesses. It could be, you could be of, you know, a substantial size, but one of your big sort of distribution channels is showing up at all the, the farmer's markets kind of across the country, you know, and, and I think that it gives you that face-to-face with the customer. You know, I, I keep thinking about this concept of, I, I read this book years ago and I really liked it and it shaped my thinking a lot. It actually started with a lean startup. And I don't know if you've read that yep. book. Eric, Eric Reese, you know, but the guy behind it, Eric Reese was actually a, a student of Steve Blank. Steve Blank's mm-hmm. like a Stanford professor, and he's really well known in the tech scene for, you know, his advice to small startups, you know, and he always talks about how small uh, startups aren't just smaller versions of big companies. Startups are different. You're discovering, you're uncovering, you know, your customer base here. So he, he has this concept of customer discovery right? And customer development, where, you know, you're proactively finding out about your customer base and trying to find your product market fit, you know. But I I think that, you know, all of it is about one of the things that he says is get outside the building, get out of the building, right? Go be with your customers, get in front of them, like understand their world. You know, the example that you gave of, you know, how are your kids? Get to know who these people are, you know, what their lives are like, what they're doing the next weekend. I think that that helps you to then ultimately make a much better product that resonates with people. Definitely. No question. So anyway, I I think that those are some pretty good nuggets of advice. And and Connor, I can tell you're you're a podcast, um, a podcast host. I'm a podcast host. We could podcast all day, I'm sure. I want to be (laughs) cognizant of time. Was there anything else that you wanted to, to maybe tell us about Local Laundry? You know, any promotions or, you know, kind of what's next uh, for you guys? I mean, what, what's next for us is definitely, you know, expanding our business kind of down south. You know, hopefully you'll be seeing some Local Laundry walking around uh, Utah in the not too distant future. But our goal is really, you know, we're becoming B Corp certified, which is important certification to, to becoming, you know, a really socially conscious brand. And we want to make clothing that's not only Canadian made, but socially conscious. We want to make the most socially conscious clothing, you know, whether by using eco-friendly fibers, by manufacturing Canada, manufacturing safely and securely and sustainably, and, you know, telling the story of everyone that we kind of interact with, both on our community and our supply chain and everything. We want to become one of the most socially conscious brands out there. And there's lots of out there, you know, that uh, walk the walk and talk the talk and that kind of thing. But we, we kind of want to do it 
one step a little bit better. So we're really looking forward to what the future brings and seeing, you know, how we can give back in just our own little way. You know, we have a goal that we want to be able to donate a million dollars to local charities by 2030. We're about a, a tenth of the way there. That's awesome. And yeah. Yeah. You know, we have our giving garments for every toque or sock or blanket that we sell. We donate one to a homeless organization. We've donated over 5,000 toques to organizations all across Canada since, uh, since 2015, you know, just, just little things. Also, if anyone's out there, we got a business book club. We started during the pandemic, which is always fun. You know, you, you named off a couple of good books there and we all have that stack of business books in our zoom call background that, we want to get around to reading at some point. And so I started the the business book club as a way that we can all read together and, and learn from each other and, and just discuss what we're reading and what we're learning. So that's been a ton of fun as well. But uh, yeah, look out world. We're going to, we're going to take over one social conscious garment at a time. All right, let's switch to the quick fire round. I just got four quick questions. Sure. What is one tool or resource uh, that uh, you find indispensable? Man, lately, I think about this all the time. Lately, it's this email tool I use called Superhuman. It's a, it's an overpriced email application that goes on top of your <laughs> Gmail, uh-huh. and and it just I fly. It gamifies your email and your inbox, and I fly through my inbox. It, it, you know, I used to not be able to hit inbox zero. I maybe be able to do it like once a month. I do it every single day now, and it is I could not live without it. That's cool. That was recently recommended to me, so I'm I'm definitely going to check it out. Oh, um, Ken. Over- change your life it'll change your <laughs> life see and that's the thing that's what everybody says right it's like overpriced it's it's, yeah. it's expensive for what it is but it's it change your life i love it huh. what is a, a book that you can recommend to people i got two well okay uh, three books the most the most important one uh, for any entrepreneur to start is the e-myth revisited by michael gerber uh, right. that is a great one to really understand the concept of working on your business rather than in your business that was really important. This the kind of the sequel to that. Once you're done, that is traction by Gino Wickman. This is you know building an actual system, an entrepreneur operating system for your business, so you can actually get traction and grow the heck out of your business. That's that's one that we just recently read. And then if you're just looking for a little bit of inspiration, I highly recommend Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. The founder oh, of I love that book. I right, love, that one. You know, it's one of the only um, business books that I. And I don't even know if you'd consider it a business book. I think it's just an inspirational, you know, sort of entrepreneurial um, story. But it's the only book where I read it and then immediately started it again as soon as I yeah. got to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I did the exact same thing. Books like that, you know, there's lots of books that can tell us how to do things and the technology. But sometimes we just need a book, a little bit of inspiration, you know, and and know that, okay, the, the founder of Nike, Nike's really great now, but it was a grind and it was a struggle. And he made a lot of sacrifices and it, most importantly, it took time. Yeah, you know? and, yeah. And, but that's okay. What is one piece of advice that you'd give to your 21-year-old self? Stop talking about it and do it. You know, I think uh, at 21, we really second guess ourselves. We're unsure about ourselves. We have other priorities. We have friends and families telling us to do one thing. If I could go back 21, I would aggressively seek out what it was that I, what it is that I love to do. And I would done everything I could do to do it. You know, I think at 21, I was like, ah, I'd love to be an owner, business owner someday. Probably not smart enough to do it yet. So I'll just wait till I get smart enough. And if I had just not listen to anyone else and just listen to myself and just say, you know, stop talking about it and do it. Don't be afraid. You know, I, I could be miles ahead of where I am right now. 
I'm extremely happy where I am at right now, but don't talk about it. Don't create, don't take six months to create a perfect business plan or try and figure out, you know, the, the business doesn't have to be perfect when you, when you launch it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be right. And so stop talking about it, go after it and do it. That's awesome. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, something that I like, which is don't talk about what you're going to do. Talk about what you did. Oh, totally. And it's kind of the same vein. (laughs) Who is one person in your field of work that you'd love to take to lunch? Chip Wilson, founder of uh, Lululemon. So he's a Calgary guy himself. He built Lululemon from scratch, invented the whole athleisure category Another great book, Big Black Stretchy Pants, his biography. And then he was pushed out by Lululemon. And I've heard it. he's just built an incredible brand. I message him on LinkedIn probably once a quarter asking for 15 minutes with him. <laughs> I'd love to. Nice. Uh, he's, he's a wild character, I've heard, but would love love to meet him. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So let's just, let's wrap up here. If uh, anybody wants to, you know, reach out to you or engage with you and your company, what's the best way to do that? Definitely check out localaundry.com. You can find us at local laundry and all social feel free to fire us an email at info info at local or give us a call at, I think we're one eight five five. Yeah. Local. Okay. Awesome. That's our, that's our number. And then you're on LinkedIn. I think that's how we connected. Connor um, Kern. Yeah on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Well, Hey Connor, I appreciate you taking your time today and, and, and being with us. I, I love your story. I love what you guys are doing, the mission. I think you're doing a lot of good, but you're also building a very solid business on, you know, in the same, in the, at the same time. So thank you for sharing those nuggets of wisdom and we appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Ken. We appreciate it. All right. The physical product movement podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, Thanks for listening.